0: Today in Rebels, Transgender Marxism, Gender Abolition, Feminization, and Much More. With Kay Gabriel, Ira T., Hello Rourke, and Jules Gleason. I see another girl. Oh, in my reflection. Is she happy? Can she see me? Trout in the mirror. Oh, can you take me to the other side? I wanna feel the breathe. I wanna be free. Take your hand tonight And show me everything The world around me I believe in magic Oh, I know Emperor's new clothes Tell me if you see them And I'll tell you if I don't Every time I look you in the eye A reflection Every time you watch me in Side
1: Everybody, is a series of talks with radical thinkers and agitators who are pushing the boundaries of revolutionary queer praxis. And today, we have come together for transnational voices of transgender communist politics in order to share our own insights on how trans liberation can foster communist rulemaking and what the communities within the proletariat have to win in engaging the struggle to abolish the present state of things. Father, we aim to dialectically grasp the transfeminist debate on the abolition of gender and how it can shape both our bodily autonomy and our political praxis as revolutionaries. This is Ira. I come from Spain and I consider myself a revolutionary transfeminist and a queer Marxist. It's a pleasure being here. So you can introduce yourselves.
0: <laughs> That's um, I'll,
2: I'll... Oh, oh my gosh, nation of bottoms, um, I- I- internationalism <laughs> of bottoms. Hi, I'm Kay. Um, my parents are she and her. Um, oh my gosh, I hate pronouns, um, uh, uh, I am uh, calling from uh, Queens, New York. Um, and I guess because it's relevant, I co-edited a book called We Want It All, an anthology of radical trans poetics. Um, and I am an organizer and a poet and essayist um, and some other things. Um, Jules.
3: Hi, I'm Jules. I am a Londoner based in Vienna. I am one of the two co-editors along with Al of Transgender Marxism which is out this month Uh, and I've I suppose been involved in uh, debates around these related topics uh, for some years now so I'm really looking forward to um, chatting with all three of you.
4: Hi, I'm Elle, I'm a political economist and gender theorist. I'm phoning in from Manchester, UK. I edited the book with Jules that is released tomorrow. Uh, well, we're recording today, but uh, when recording, recording's out. Uh, I also do uh, trans activism with Queercare, which is a trans-feminist uh, uh, community support, uh, medical support, and protest support organization. Uh, and I am also the co-founder of New Socialist magazine, where I do the economic section
2: bless you for just saying i am a political economist i think it is like so important for marxists to actually claim that yeah um, like it's actually really important and so many of us just shy away from saying like no we actually ha- have like really th- we have so many things to say about the structure of the world um and uh we can yeah so 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 yeah. so own it yes <laughs> own yes. nothing else <laughs>
1: totally like reclaim political economy <laughs>
2: it's ours
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. it in spite of being degenerates <laughs> <laughs> okay so just first of all why do we say that trans liberation calls for communist revolution
2: <laughs> starting with the big one Um, okay, I'm gonna leap on this first, but then I promise I will um, take a a, a backseat. Um, uh, so uh, I got the chance this morning to reread uh, the introduction to uh, Jules and Elle's really phenomenal a uh, 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 collection. I actually haven't read the rest of the collection yet. I read some of it, um, but I've read the introduction a couple of times. I think it's a great essay, and I so I and I'll, I'll borrow some of its thought and its formulations. Um, uh, and one of the things I think that you guys point out, and it's it's definitely true, is that the you know the dominant um uh like say liberal bourgeois reframing of trans liberation as trans rights and recognitions kind of say based in uh the uh supposedly successful pattern of like say gay liberation transformed into rights and recognitions realized at the the level of the state in some places not everywhere um uh this is that you know we see this happening um, and we make the claim that not only is this insufficient, but that pouring our energy into this thing is actually not going to get us what we want or what we need. Um, why is that? Um, well, this actually throws us right back into some, like, I think, early 20th century, um, uh, uh, debates about communist feminism or socialist feminism where uh, and 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 distinguishing uh what a feminism for uh the proletariat means against a, a bourgeois feminism right um where we understand that um uh what liberation um means not just uh rights and recognitions at the level of the state but also um a full uh, access to means of life, uh, equal access to resources, um, uh, universal housing, universal healthcare, food security, um, uh, uh, universal access to education, things like this, right? Um, this kind of economic transformation that would be a kind of communist horizon, right? A world in which everyone has what they need. Um, so why does this? Why does this immediately matter to trans people? Well, like, you know, um, uh, we can't, without pushing this part of the story too far. We also know that trans people are like very poor. Um, this is just like broadly economically true. Uh, very poor, uh, subject to significant employment, uh, discrimination, very unemployed or underemployed, um, and therefore, uh, uh, like the struggle for, um, liberation is, um, a struggle for material, um, uh, uh, is a struggle for material security, um, uh, and so it, it takes place not just. In the realm sound a little 1848 about it not just in the realm of the political question it's deeply in the realm of the social question so that's on that's on the one hand um but on the other I think that we can think about um you know like when we talk about like trans liberation and communism there's kind of maybe a different way to phrase that or to understand that where we think about like what do trans people offer to an understanding of a communist horizon that um so what do trans people in our particularity have to 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 say or to offer that expands the universalism of a communist of a communist society right um which is to say uh one that would be achieved uh, in time through processes and events that we could call revolutionary that we would have to call revolutionary because they would uh, it, it require the abolition of society as it currently is right um, and this is something that i've argued in print but i'll just say it out loud, because I believe it um uh, I, you know, one of the things that we. give to the movement, maybe we can put it that way um is the insistence on. A certain kind of bodily autonomy um an insistence that the aesthetic intervention into uh uh into into bodily autonomy um is a political demand um is uh, uh, uh you know something that um needs that that when we demand like society be rearranged in certain ways this is a part of the project and it it involves it it touches on lives that are not just ones that go through medical transition right um and i don't just mean trans people i mean like everyone everyone needs a body that feels good to be in um whether that means you've had sufficient rest or you've had enough to eat, or you are, or you, you, you know, are not subject to forms of violence that, like, rob you, or, or of your limbs, um, uh, or, or, um, you, um, uh, don't have breasts and you would like them, you know, like, I think that we can all, we can sort of, these are all dimensions, these are all related to, like, the kind of being a body, like, a subject in the world, um, uh, who is able to go through the world in a flourishing way, um, and I think that this is like so so this kind of like as I, and what I refer to in uh, in, in print in, in, in an essay as the intensification of uh, um, uh, uh, control over one's life, as was a, a kind of intensive um, regime, um, I think that that is something that we offer to the horizon of uh, communism. Um, and uh, uh, that involves both trans people and also non-trans people.
0: Wow.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks Kay for like covering all our upcoming questions. (laughs) It's always great hearing you. Oh yeah, I totally agree with you and I would like add some contribution that I think is great from transgender Marxism is that of situating uh, trans liberation and oppression among the lines of social reproduction and also I remember when Chris Kitty said that of sexuality and gender are only problematic when there is a division between, the reproductions of the means of production and biological reproduction and I think that it is also necessary to confront some like queer radical thesis that presupposes queer and trans embodiments as revolutionary for like there is indeed a place for queer and trans people in capitalism it's only that it's a violent and devaluated place it's like the industrial reserve army, or just a global chain of care work, or even just uh, being um, surplus population and just letting ourselves die. So, what I think it's key about the necessity for a communist revolution is that in capitalism, uh, family reproduces femininity and masculinity so as to keep uh, producing surplus and maintaining capitalist order. And as long as it happens, um, bourgeoisie has been unable or just has not been under interest to abolish such institutions that contribute to our harm and oppression. So I consider that it has to be the next revolution of the world, the one to abolish them. And because of, as it happened with social reproduction theory and the emancipation of women, uh, taking part in social production is a key part to, is because social production is like the last chain of capitalist world and, they are those institutions and mainly capitalist family that are just um, not allowing us to partake in social reproduction and in production that I think it becomes just like inseparable the revolution of the producers with the emancipation of those who are oppressed by those institutions. So now I'm gonna give like my turn to Yules. Thanks.
3: I suppose there's kind of two um, points leading out of this. And one is sort of the like the direct answer to the question like why we think revolution is necessary or why we why we kind of why one is required for us to emancipate ourselves, uh, which is kind of the easy question. And then the kind of one that's tied into it is how useful I suppose how useful either of our collections or any collections of writings could possibly be in kind of achieving that um, pretty lofty and pretty challenging um, set of aims. So my answer is very similar to what um, Kay had to say, which is that, uh, yeah, there was this, um, there is a need not only for any old revolution, but also a social revolution. So like a revolutionary change that doesn't just get rid of the existing political, institutional, juridical, any any order on that level. Um, it kind of wouldn't suffice to sort of achieve that, which is, I think, um, that would already be ambitious enough, but we need to sort of, we need something which extends, um, yeah, we need something which extends beyond that and actually transforms uh, the relations which uh, we live on a sort of everyday and sort of ongoing, basis like the world full of landlords and prisons and employment and taxation and so on all of this is something which um we're gonna have to do away with to achieve trans emancipation or at least that's how it, um that's how it seems that i think they could probably the contributors to both of our collections and um the reason we've come to that conclusion i'm sure like there's always a balance you've got to strike like the reason we've come to that conclusion is at once because trans people are overwhelmingly proletarian like you have your Um, minority within minority minority groups like trans in tech or um, people who've ingratiated themselves in professional organizations. Like those people exist for sure. There is, I've even met one trans business owner at one point that was quite exciting. She had a pretty predictable worldview which (laughs) I didn't really get along with, but for the most part like trans people are proletarians, right? And this is the basis for our um, revolutionary outlook first and foremost. But on the other hand, we can't pretend that just like, while this exploited uh, class of people is the same as any other exploited person, because this sort of like, I think that's a kind of attempt to like short circuit the question, you know what I mean? Like clearly transgender people have specific and particular struggles, which we face down. Like we come into conflict with families, with police, uh, with border patrol agents, with (laughs) any other number of Uh, any other number of kind of like substantial substantiating agents of um, property relations as they exist today um yeah we come into conflict with those constantly in quite interesting and quite specific ways which I think um yeah I think either one of our collections would um sort of show to you uh yeah so this is sort of like the the first thing so yeah we believe in social revolution based on our belief in social domination and like yeah, social domination, as in um, capital operates in a way that sort of, like, you don't have to believe, you don't have to be a committed, like, ideological pro-capitalist person to participate in the capitalist system. It sort of, there's an indifferent face which um, you sort of participate in just by being someone who's uh, paying your rent and showing up to your workplace and, or not showing up to your workplace, showing up to your job centre or whatever else. Um, yeah, so that's the kind of, like, that's the basic perspective we believe in but probably like the more difficult question embedded in this is like what uh use like yeah what hope we can kind of have writing theory uh or writing poetry or doing any other kind of like <laughs> political or cultural activity instead of bringing around a revolution and this is i think the question which people sort of shy away from a bit more but i'm actually really fond um i suppose to sort of like make this symmetrical Also this thing from your introduction, which I was also reading this morning, big surprise. Um, Yeah, you have this line in it where you're like, uh, the two of you are like, uh, we believe that poetry can do things that theory can't, that poetry leaps into what theory tends towards. Um, Yeah, and I'm not being modest here. I think like as someone who just uh, edited a theory collection, I think that's very true. I think it's very true and it's interesting. Um, Yeah, it's interesting to think about what, uh, what you can achieve with the kind of forms get displayed in your collection but also it's sort of like what's striking to me is that once like um yeah there is this kind of limit of theory which I think um (laughs) I agree is that like it's it's in some sense like revolutionary poetry is more like intuitively possible you know what I mean um or poetry which seems to lead us closer towards that kind of a place um I think that's correct but on the other hand I feel like in the rest of the conclusion when you talk about what you're trying to achieve it seems yeah it seems very much like we're trying to do the same thing and this is maybe i can say more about this but this notion of like collating and sort of um yeah sort of collaging these different styles and different approaches people have taken, uh taken i think like reading our two collections side to side that i've been trying to do this week in all my spare time <laughs> is um yeah it's very striking to me how this like uh yeah this is the same kind of thing there are all of these different um all of these different styles and modes and forms which like trans revolutionaries have adopted to try and get towards this sort of transformative endpoint, um but uh there's this kind of need to collect it all you know what i mean because the alternative is there's this tendency to sort of especially rely on mediums which are prone to self-disintegration or to like um or especially to like Um, restriction to these kind of mediums that have this kind of intimacy and privacy that like across time produces um, yeah produces this kind of uh, I was going to say this occult feature but I'm not not actually opposed to the occult but perhaps you see what I mean (laughs) like there's a difference between a revolutionary like insurgent movement that's like sweeping everything before it and like esoteric retreats and um, hiding in the woods you know what I mean um, and I do think we need both of those things, but I,
2: am yeah, maybe that's something to discuss. Do you mind if I, if I respond super quick? Yeah. You can. <laughs> um, I, I love that way of framing it. Um, and I'm I'm also curious, you know, El, what what you have to say about this. Um, but you know, this this question of like, what? Okay, well, so what does a collection of, of of writing do? If we we go like this is our this is our horizon of this work, it's on a distant horizon actually. For some things, it needs to be quite proximate or quite near. Um, uh, how does putting all this writing that's being assembled in different places? Um, this just kind of disparate writing together, what do we think of that, that does? Um, and I think that there is this, I agree that there's this shared project of going like, okay, the internet is not a great way. As much as the internet fosters all kinds of trans culture and I don't know about you guys but I had a live journal phase and I had a Tumblr phase. Um, and, uh, you know, there's um, uh, <laughs> There's Internet denizenry that goes deep uh, here. Um, But it's not actually very good for producing memory or even community in any deep sense or consciousness. Um, And so, you know, when we are like doing the thing where we're like, okay, we are going to go through a publisher um, who's sympathetic. Um, and can be supportive in certain ways and is limited in other ways, but we're gonna go through a publisher and we're gonna take all these people um, who are doing sometimes quite out there projects. Actually, that's a really good thing and put them together. um, We are helping to concentrate all of these forms of thought in a certain place. um, uh, So they have a certain kind of durability And we are, you know, to a certain extent, we are calling something. I'm going to justify this in a second, but to a certain extent, we're calling something into being. I know that, uh, and one of the things that you guys say is that you're not like trans Marxism is already out there; you're not making it happen. But I think that there are going to be people who, so that's definitely true for, for you. We we know it. We see it. We are in these conversations. But and this is something that I actually kind of speculated about online like a while ago um uh, uh you know like there are people out there who um and and in some in some ways many cases who aren't recognizing this thing um and who are like uh, not sort of not alive to these formations as they already exist who aren't reading it um whether that's like cis marxists or uh trans people who are maybe or, or I mean or trans people who are like I am new to Marxism I wonder what this has to say to my life I'm new to communism I wonder how this can change my life um uh, uh, uh and 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 change my ways of being with people in the world um or it's you know and this is a, a kind of a vanishingly small population but it's important to address um let's say post-structuralist and trans studies who are stuck in a kind of what I would think of as a a a, a residual but in some places still quite powerful mode of thinking that um marxism is not capable of understanding sexual and gender particularity right um and so there are all of these uh constituencies that i think like c- writing the collection actually creates um and so similarly with like with um uh, you know, with, with with we want it all and I will hold this up for the reader, uh, or the viewer of this video. Um, uh, uh, whoever you are. Um, uh, so for with we want it all what Andrea, uh, my co-editor Andrea Karim and I were trying to do, um, uh, in some sense has to do with, y- yes, all of these people are actually doing this thing, but we are making it possible in some ways um, for people to see the category, people who did not see the category before, um, so there's something to do with the energy of convoking that makes something perceptible and conceivable, um, for people who hadn't been able to perceive it or, or conceive it before, before, and I think that work is important, um, and I guess the final thing that I'll, I'll, say is I think it's important for this project that, you know, to the extent that, like, I think, we only engage in these forms of cultural production theory or poetry, um, because we think that it can shape consciousness in certain ways. Um, not, a, not in an instrumentalizing way, right? But like, we wouldn't do it if we didn't think it could shape consciousness in certain ways. Um, and to that extent, we maybe we already disagree with some Marxists who don't think that consciousness is an important category. Um, and so I think that that is, you know, uh, uh, like that it provides some of the impetus for writing.
3: I just want to say I did do live journal, but I never, I never did. Um, yeah, I never, I never did MySpace, And I never, uh, I just went straight from live journal to Facebook. That's my internet trajectory, just, just as full disclosure.
5: I didn't either. But Facebook, yeah. Actually, I think what Kay said is like really important to understand
1: both um, Transgender Marxism, We Want It All, or even the book I'm working on. For Yeah, it's like um, taking it off the ground. And I remember when I was like 15, 16 years old, I was already in the Communist Party. And I was just starting my transition and it's like I literally needed uh, some specific work that could explain myself not in terms of liberalism but in terms of Marxism for I, I really felt guilty for not being able to find the words to just justify that my existence was not part of Uruguay or neoliberalism. <laughs> um, it was then when I just found like trans liberation, a movement whose time has come, but it's like, okay, it's so 90s, <laughs> to 90s. And I, I, I really hope that it can work somehow to all those gender variant Marxists to be, <laughs> just to find words to explain themselves and their oppression, Just, like, linking it to our next issue, which is that of gender. Oh, I
4: still have stuff to say about collections.
1: Oh, I love. And I I love to say about poetry and utopia, and I have it for afterwards.
4: (laughs) So, yeah, I just wanted to bounce off what Kay was saying. So, like, when it comes to transgender writing, you know, there is often very little new under the sun. Uh, there's a really good poem in Kay's collection, uh, the first trans poem, you know, every trans person is blah, 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 every 10 who transed out is blah, 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 and it's kind of like, yes, everyone says this all the time, there is little new under the sun, because it has been done before, I mean, transgender Marxism is not particularly, we're not trying to plant a flag and say we're claiming some sort of new or radical or radical novelty here we kind of stand in a long lineage of gender radicals and subversives who've read Marx who've interpreted him who've used them to understand their own conditions over the past 200 years so Marx has been read by all people of all social positions and that includes trans people but there are a couple of distinct things and I think they're interesting what's going on with both our collection and what Kay wrote and her book and their book uh, well the Kate and uh, Andrea's book. Sorry, it's two people. Uh, so you do have the revival of Marx in after the financial crisis, and this is something that everyone says, and it's really boring, and because they just want to say stuff like, oh, inequality is bad, or blah, blah, blah. But you do have the revival of Marx, and you do have a stronger issue in gender and sexuality, so you have the re- dusting off of social reproduction theory, but also you have a, queer, a weird transformation of queer studies where, you know, queer people, some, like, uh, queer theorists suddenly discover Marx after like ignoring him for a few decades. And you also have transgender studies which kind of formalises itself and institutionalises itself just over the past two decades. But I think by far the most important here is kind of the rise of an increasingly assertive transgender politics. So from people who've carved out a space in wider society that they weren't really able to do before uh, and uh, done things that would have been unimaginable just a few short decades ago. So cultural change has been fairly swift conservative reaction has been really intense. And there's always a certain pessimism about these developments. So it argues that the recent acceptance of LGBT people is like this always already recuperated phenomena, that it's limited to discourse and representation, that it serves an overwhelmingly upper class constituency, that they've defanged and domesticated what was previously a vibrant and contentious uh, radical sexual politics. And there's a certain amount of truth to this. I'm not saying there isn't. Uh, But I also think that can be often overly pessimistic about how social change happens and what has changed and uh, what we have collectively achieved in such short space of time. And moves to recuperate are always already uh, very reactive to social change that precedes it. They are never entirely successful as well, as we've seen just recently with uh, uh, people trying to kick the cops out of New York pride and stuff like that, which was really good. Uh, So we should take heart from a couple of trends, uh, and this is particularly when talking about transgender publishing. So it seems like the biography uh, no longer seems to be able to fill that social role that was expected of it. And you talk about Vivian Namaste, where she says biography is the only genre in which trans women are allowed to speak. So this sort of publishing convention where we get these increasingly over familiar narratives of like an intrepid hero moving from ignorance to acceptance to personal flourishing trans people from this view overcome like psychological torments and social oppression as adversity to this thriving skill skillfully as they embrace their just destiny or all those as these time, time on the tropes have become like increasingly shot born and a bit stale the knowing subversion of these all too familiar narratives so they're all a bit more cheeky now the hackneyed talk show confessional becomes like the pop liter- literary self-deprecation uh this isn't like other memoirs has been long superseded you know long superseded i wasn't like other boys the wink and the nod never really escapes though was the formal conventions of the genre itself. Two, that trans feminism is no longer reduced to making plaintive appeals as to why transgender women ought to be allowed into the category of feminism and the category of woman, uh, or as though trans women are a lesser or also around modality of feminine embodiment, as though we need to be learning and imitating our cisgender betters. And three, that trans creativity is more expansive, varied and widely read than it has been in recent years and than at than any other time, so that people are undergoing these fairly epochal transformation in how they think and understand gender, that more and more trans people are finding the space and opportunity to express themselves, to express their joys, to have their needs met, to find love and pleasure in ways that would have been more marginalised and confined to more hidden corners of society. So as far as the collection helps towards that, I don't know, I hope it does. I have no pretensions about that. It may mean, it's kind of just a book. Maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't. I hope people who read it enjoy it. We worked really hard on it, uh, but this is an attempt to apprehend in for these sort of changes in real time, these sort of immense social changes that we're all living through. And I at least hope it's successful at that or provides comfort and reinsurance to those who read it. Uh, who wants to go next?
1: Okay, like, I, I also send a heart like gay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so there is one question that has been haunting both queer, communist and second-wave feminist praxis, and it is that of what the hell gender actually is. Endnotes <laughs> Collective firstly define gender as the anchoring of a certain group of individuals in a specific sphere of social activities and sex as the naturalization of genders dual projection upon bodies, aggregating biological differences into discrete naturalized semblances. (laughs) Gay described it in Inver Journal as the subjective imprint of the symbolization of sexual difference and reframing the notion of metabolic rift, extending it to the dialectic of sex and gender claims that nature the sphere that capitalist society secrets as ideologically other than itself functions for capital as an accumulation strategy. Father Seribelinsky refers to yenda, a love with nuclear family as a vicarious institution for human capacities. What is yenda for all of you as communist thinkers should we use the category of yenda and how can Kay's reading of genders and accumulation strategy reshape transliberationist politics? So maybe
4: L. <laughs> uh, does Kay want to go first because we're bouncing off her essay?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, sure. I can I can just like I can talk about this a little bit. So I think in that so so in that framing that I wrote in uh gender as accumulation strategy I l- let me just say why I think it's important to phrase it in the way that I I do and maybe also why I disagree a little bit with Maya's phrasing in end notes uh Maya Gonzalez um and it's a great essay people should read that essay um the logic of gender it's a fantastic essay people like whatever you think about it people out in the world should read this essay I frame gender in a slightly different way, in part because I think it's important to not believe to not believe that gender is purely the instrument of capital. Gender is one of the things, like there are many things that capital picks up and uses as it ascends to the world historical stage. Gender is one of these things, right? Um, it, it, It like antedates capital uh, I, I, it antedates the capital relation. I think it will probably postdate the capital relation. Um, uh, it, it is a way, uh, you know. I mean, like, to, what's my definition? The, the 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 subjective imprint of the symbolization of sexual difference, right? Um, uh, people do have differently arranged bodies, um, uh, and uh, we experience that subjectively in different in different ways. Those are not rock solid they're very mutable um, across place and time and in the course of a single life. Um, uh, but we have to understand both like the, the fact that this is not just something, it's not like a, a conspiracy that capitalism, the capitalism forced on us that, 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 that so, and it's not purely determinative of the separate spheres of social identity. Although I think that Maya is correct to understand um, how gender has been instrumentalized by capital, and this is what I mean by gender being an accumulation strategy, gender has been instrumentalized in different ways, um, by capital, both to constrain some people from working and to force other people to work, right? Um, and to, uh, but, and for some people to uh, uh, require them to do some work for wages and other work for no wages right um so uh, and and to so gender gives capital an instrument or a fuel or or or, or a a form of uh, social difference um that uh, it conveniently repurposes um. At at, at different times, in different places, um, under different strategies and et cetera, et cetera, um, to um, uh, 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 as as a lever for the accumulation of value. That's my claim, right? Um, uh, But that is not our fate. Um, And that is, I think, something else that I really that I feel powerfully to insist on. Um, Yeah. And then I I just I want to hear what Jules and I'll have to say.
0: Well, um,
3: I know that Al's got a lot to say about this, so maybe I'll be brief. I find it striking, especially how, how in, in so many different circles, like even speaking about gender has become sort of controversial. And when I say so many different circles, I mean, there's this argument that um, Jules Jill Peterson makes in her book, which is very much building on other sort of like critical theorists um, in the same tradition as her. Yeah, there's two jewels in, in trans theory at the moment. It's it's pretty wonderful. But yeah, her, she she has this whole she has this this notion that gender is kind of like a conservative framework and it's like a retrograde way of um, looking at things. Which is also saying, I suppose you hear from certain Lacanians, especially the kind of Lacanian who only reads other Lacanians. They say that you know talking about gender is this error and we should only talk about sex and sexuation, and gender was like a misstep and um, yeah, so you have that kind of, like, critical theory, psychoanalytic theory, skepticism towards it. But of course, needless to say, you have, like, right-wing movements that even the word gender is treated as, like, a, you know, a boo line <laughs> Like, the notion that you would examine gender in a non-grammatical sense is taken to be, like, a source of outrage or something. Um, and, you know, Judith Butler being burnt in effigy in Brazil when... She came to speak at a totally unrelated com- conference was sort of a, a key flashpoint um, in France. Uh, in France, the protests against gay marriage had banners saying like, say no to gender theory. <laughs> it's a pretty, um, a pretty global flashpoint at this stage. So I find it, um, I think on pragmatic lines as a revolutionary, this kind of makes me think that we should double down on gender. We should be like, well, what, what is the irritation that it's causing? And the simple answer there is there's this kind of denaturalization, which even opening this set of questions, like even opening this Pandora's box seems to like present to people. Um, but that's as far as I can go. I don't I don't really have any particular, like all of these, I, I'm, I'm very pragmatic when it comes to this questions, as with so many others. There's all sorts of different uh, definitions and discursive concerns and like um, arguments about foundationalism and whatever else. And like, ultimately, I think the like, the hubbub and the kind of chaos that this whole debate has caused is sort of like something with value in itself. You know what I mean?
0: Sorry if that's a bit of a trollish response, but but uh,
4: so yeah. Uh, I full disclosure, I didn't actually read Kay's essay until we'd submitted our book because I saw the title of the essay and I was like. Well, I want to hash out my own thoughts before I read what Kay's written because it sounds like we converge on a lot. And I didn't want to like muddle it all up together. And we actually do converge on a lot the way we talk about gender, the way we write about gender, the way we think about gender. And you see this. So, like the idea that there was this once reliable gender order where men were men and women were women. And now things are more muddled, more fraught, and may seem like a, re- a contemporary reactionary concern. Uh, but in truth, these anxieties are generally quite perennial. During times of great social ch- uh, stress or social change, these have been common complaints with the effeminate trans feminine and the emasculating trans masculine figure standing as the early example of the dawn of a more decadent social age or occasionally a more enlightened gender dispensation. And so we see this in far right propaganda, so essentially disgusted that anyone would transgress the bounds of the supposedly sick fixed five biological construction of sex. On demonizing certain trans women in particular for failing to live up to an idealized performance of femininity, while at the same time trying to guarantee changes in the law that make gender transition as legally adverse as possible to access public spaces, to participate in public life, men are men and women are women and there you shall remain. So why is that? And uh, why is this such a perennial concern for state authorities and conservative forces alike? I think this is partly because class relations are never as dried out and aloof, as more orthodox Marxists would have you believe, but by necessarily implicate theories of gender, race, sexuality. So the history of sexual difference is a is inextricably a history of contracts. These contracts may be entirely formal, informal, but explicit. But they're forged with your doctors, your family, your school, your employers, and with the state. So, what other accounts of transgender lives have identified as a transition in epistemic regimes in the social scientific? and medical understanding of gender, there's a big emphasis on this in a lot of literature. You kind of have the 1950s where the clinic, something comes on and then transgender comes and blah, blah, blah. Uh, So what other accounts would emphasize this, we would identify as like the weighty historical corollary of this transition in property regimes, working patterns, unwaged labor, family structures and domestic life. Transition kind of requires an eruption in all of these, every single facet in your social life. So I think this is why political anxiety about the breakdown of these thresholds of exploitation, that they are increasingly difficult to verify, or are being directly challenged, or are not being enforced half, hard enough, is a particular concern. So rather than read through social production theory, social reproduction theory, uh, which we might talk about elsewhere, I wanted to take a look at capitalist society through what Angela Metropolis calls the economic organization. Of genealogy, so a genealogical ordering, um, ordering. a political theological account of capitalist society, where the nexus of race, gender, class, and sexuality and nation are constituted through the premise of a properly productive household. So the household is pretty important. So the language of moral economy and conservative refrain appeals to underlying fundamental values. Is this euphemism for a more or less stable capitalist maturity? And this is a future premise: down the restoration, persistence of genealogical lines of composition. Or the orderly transfer of property, debt, and authority across time. So, under this lens, we can sort of appreciate that gender, race, and sexuality are not discrete, nearly separate categories. They are not analysis to be pulled apart and put back together and perhaps reassemble. They are different means of talking about the same social, social object, alternate perspectives on the same social question property, exploitation, social order. So, impositions of gendered expectations and racial discrimination are also claims about where the acceptable threshold of exploitation ought to lie and on what terms, whether your labor is waged or unwaged, whether it is compensated well or poorly. Even the type of work you do or do not is contingent on your ability to embody a socially plausible form of masculinity or femininity within boundaries set by uh, what your society understands your racial background to be. So making demands on time and surplus labor organizing speculative operations into contractual bonds, underwriting the differential extension of credit and life chances to various classes and strata, or uh, apportioning labor between sectors and households, and demarcating certain modes of comportment and expression as socially valorized and compensated, or as demonized, as excluded, and open to intense forms of socially validated violence. Capitalism has this inextricable process of variable differentiation, discrimination, and compensation, and so, and this, as far as I would understand it, is what constitutes gendered class oppression and not necessarily class itself and not necessarily gender itself, which is what's really good about Kay's essay where she distinguishes between gender and gendered oppression, uh, because you read a lot of Marxist feminism and sometimes you're like, wait a minute, is she saying that uh, women are women because they're doing the, they do the washing up? And you're like, no, that can't be what she says. And then you're like, actually, that kind of is what she says. <laughs>
3: I actually had the exact same experience as Elle when, so this, this essay, Gender as Accumulation Strategy, originally appeared in the first issue of Invert Journal, and um, when my friend Joni, who's one of the editors on on the Invert Editorial Collective, came to Vienna, she was like, oh yeah, basically like you and Kay are writing the same essay in two different registers, and um, yeah, because my piece is called Transsexual Solidarity, and this one has like, Yeah, especially this section, Transsexuals in the hiddener Abode. Um, Yeah, so it's like they're very different essays, but they sort of end up at the same point (laughs) somehow, Um, which was not because they were written together at all. I don't think we were even, I'm not sure we even communicated directly at this point in time, but yeah, somehow a few different different avenues of thought are converging in some quite nice ways is the way I put it. Yeah,
2: I think that that's, I think that's true. And I I read your essay with a great degree of, of, pleasure. Uh, and, and and even a thrill. Um, I mean, <laughs> maybe just to to pull out one of those words, and, you know, and, and, you know, I'm wearing this shirt, that's like the transsexual menace, which for people who are watching this, you don't know is uh, an activist group sort by Ricky and Wilkins. Um, but you know, like, I think that there's something like really good about thinking about like, the um, about reintroducing this bodily dimension, um, and thinking about how it um, relates to the, um, uh, 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 how it figures in the production, reproduction of, um, uh, 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 uh of social particularity and difference that is L, you know, notes, um, furnishes capital with the tools for, um, uh unequal for 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 the ideological and, and and legal and material unequal distribution of labor of access to resources of availability to being disposed of or incarcerated or deported or put in a box right um uh and then also it discloses certain dimensions for Like it it goes it discloses certain dimensions for our political and social lives that we can think about like how do I intervene in this? How do I how do I act upon this? Um and so that which is one of the reasons why I I like the word transsexual. It's one of the things that I got, Jules, from your essay. Um uh so I'm glad that this this thought is kind of proceeding, is converging, as you say.
0: Great.
5: So Feminization. <laughs> uh, all of us here today are somehow f- feminized subjects, and we face a transphobic scenery that considers femininity, when it is present outside an F embodiment, to be merely a manifestation of misogynistic oppression. On the other hand, some queer radical perspectives embrace male and non-binary femininity as an empowering tool to denaturalize naturalized imperialist gender binary. Confronting both reductionist insights, inbert described feminization as bearing on your second skin the mark of devaluation, which is indeed quite valuable to capital. And adds that understood as a process of immiseration <sighs> Feminization can be therefore treated as an expansive category, defined by, but not confined to women. Thus, I wanted to ask you, how do you all understand feminization, and how does your personal feminized experience converge with the political aim to end gender division of labor? Nice, easy question,
3: I think I've got quite an eccentric direction I want to take this one into. So I want someone else to answer first before I do my thing. Uh,
2: maybe I can take a stab at this. Um, uh, the, Jules, I'm, I'm very excited for for, for what this is going to be. Um, so um, I want to, I mean, in answering this, I think we can, I, I want to just kind of keep thinking with something that Elle threw out there, which is one way that we can think about this is that gender is not, as I have seen somewhere, speculated a property relation, but it is a labor relation, um, not in pure, not not purely determinative, but um, it, it, it is um, uh, gender um, spells out certain relationships to certain kinds of labor, um, waged and unwaged, and indeed to unemployment or unemployability, um, uh, in ways that are subject to transformation, and you know so on. Um, so this seems important um, as we confront feminization, um, when we can talk about this as the process, uh, to a certain extent, you know, is this just the process of continually like, uh, like reproducing, um, an unequal division of labor? Well, I don't know if I want to be so exhaustive about it, but it's something like that, um, and um, I, I I don't, I mean, so, so, you know, one of the, the ways that I think we can think about this in a specifically trans register is like, I, I think we can push back against the, um, uh, I don't know, um, uh, I think that we can push back against the, um, uh, a stance that, you know, certain embodiments, certain ways of being in the world are, um, like, specifically confrontational towards or, um, or antagonistic of, um, like, dominant arrangements of gender. I mean, this is kind of what, like, I I, I beat up on him because he's an easy target, but, like, Paul Preziato, you know, like, really pulled a fast one on all these fucking, uh, on, you know, like, the feminist press who translated his work, and, and, um, I mean, like, Ellen Jules, you guys, like, call him what a romance endocrine romanticist.
4: Endocrinological romanticism. Oh,
2: that's so good. <laughs> um, you know, like this motherfucker who actually believes that you are, by intervening in your molecular structure, you're undoing capitalism bullshit, right? That's just bullshit. It's so offensive. Um, uh, and, and he let, and he just grifted that grift into a pretty substantial degree uh yeah paul preciata that's right uh into a pretty substantial degree of like cultural capital and like people still read this cis people still read this i don't know a single trans person takes this this shit seriously but there is a certain i don't think anymore but when i uh first as i say made the jump to hyperspace um which is going on about a decade ago Um, uh, there were definitely people around me who had what I would describe as it was very particular to time and it was very particular to New York, but you can imagine certain versions of this elsewhere. Um, people around me who were like, Oh, the best that like, you know, basically like testosterone is like, like, taking tea is, like, this, like, magic juice that just, like, you know, fixes your life, uh, solves your problems, um, makes you, like, a hot fuck machine, and, um, you can also, um, you know, it, 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 like, tur- like, it, it- reframes your gender to make you somehow more oppositional to um uh forms of domination oppression exploitation and you know this this is this very naive very immediatist understanding of and and you can imagine a different version of this right you can imagine a version of this that i think some people in fact have pursued in, in in different places um uh that is like oh, you know, gender transition period, um, uh, is doing, is somehow doing something anti-capitalist, um, is somehow doing something that's like, again, antagonistic or oppositional, um, and that, that's not, that's sort of not good enough, um, uh, and, um, you know, like, so, so I, I, just, I just think, you know, as, as we can think about like different ways of like being, I- I- being in the world and, and how these are or not supposed to be um, like to, to um, embody um, political opposition or to enact political opposition. Like that's, that's clearly like not, not good enough in part because feminization is this process that is, is just of a different scale, you know? Um, it is part of the massive scalar process by which capital um, uh, compels some bodies, so some people, excuse me, some people to act in certain ways and restricts others from acting in others. Um, so that's, you know, like it, it, that, um, uh, it, it is, it is a social force. Um, And it is one of the things when we talk about like abolition, right, this process is, I think, not like femininity, but this process of this like capitalist like feminization as a labor relation, like that is one, I think one of the objects, I think, of abolition. Have you
0: got anything to say, Al?
4: uh yeah i mean like you do have the like idea of feminization or the second skin which uh, i was talking about i think that's uh, rosemary hennessy's uh idea of gender as objection and stuff like that uh so i think like feminization is kind of this ever-looming threat of being emasculated for a great people a portion of people uh being dropped down lower on the rungs of exploitation of having your prior in conception marked by injury and being degraded to be treated as a woman, in a sense. And uh, there is a bit in our book, which Michelle O'Brien writes really good on. It's uh, She's writing about Alan Berube's conception of queer work and applying it further to trans people and trans work. And she discusses uh, um, what Alan Berube is. One of his case studies is like this cruise liner and the people who worked on the cruise liner. And you had uh, white men, uh, black men, uh, Asian men, and uh the problem was that everyone was so white supremacist that they didn't want to have <laughs> um, like black serving staff. So they hired mm. gay men and gay men found this sort of niche in industry of this feminized work where they could act and uh, have certain socialities together. And uh, black men also found this because, uh, you know, they didn't want white men doing this sort of degrading work. And they actually found a way to express their love and express homoerotic cultures and also formed unions, communist party unions. And they lifted a banner saying, no race baiting, red baiting or queer baiting. And I think this is really interesting. <laughs> and uh, what I loved about Kay's speech just then was uh, she just fucking nailed <laughs> that motherfucker. Uh, Paul Picardio. Yeah, I mean, this is bullshit. You, do not, you cannot really say that this or that or uh, any sort <laughs> of <laughs> ecological stance is necessarily antagonistic to capital. I mean, you have to do a lot of work. I mean, I think the one thing that I really like about Andrea Chu, like one of the few things uh, in that dialogue in Transgender Studies Quarterly, uh, mm-hmm. she's talking about like how queer and like, the, like linguistic travel. So these people writing on trans stuff and they're writing about trans stuff and they're doing all this sort of exhaustive stuff and trans stuff. And they're like, oh, trans is so revolutionary and it's uh, magical and, uh, oh, you're like a little cyborg or blah, blah, blah. And then she's like copies and pastes and goes, right. But 20 years ago, she was writing the same thing about queer and being queer. And queer is this necessarily antagonistic relationship to capital. And that's just true. <laughs> I mean, just people writing so much bullshit. Um, But I really want to hear what Jules has got to say. I think she's going
3: Those two passages in that in that, um, interview you were mentioning are, literally interchangeable <laughs> yeah, the the trans versus queer yeah people yeah this trans is trans is an all-purpose trans trans is transcendent stand-in right yeah, yeah. i can't stand that stuff no um yeah okay, it's, it's it's ass spaniards invented it okay that's, that's what we're saying in chat but i can't confirm or deny that okay so firstly on um, yeah poor press well this is exactly the problem like um transsexuality like the history of the endocrine system hormones as like a social field whatever you want to call it that's something I'm really here for but it's exactly the romanticism yeah this idea where like simultaneously testosterone endogenous testosterone at least is like the fuel of the revolution but then it's also a party drug. He's got an interview where he's like, yeah, tea is the ultimate party drug. <laughs> As if You're just going to dose up on it and go to Berlin, have a great time. And people do that for sure. But it's, in a, in a way, it's, it, it, yeah, trying to have it on both sides. It's something fun. It's something cool. And also it's something ethically transformative and, and revolutionary. And it reads like marketing copy, to be honest with you. That's, yeah, it's it's like the testosterone. There isn't a testosterone producing industry. But if there was one, then they they couldn't really have done better than his his PR work. Um anyway, that, that bit of bitchiness aside, I think that's kind of like to get a bit more analytic about it, there's kind of like three things with feminization. And one is the Michelle O'Brien and Kate Griffiths explores this elsewhere. I don't think their essay in this collection does so much. But yeah, there's like feminization as like the rise of pink collar, and when I say the rise, I mean the fact that pink collar jobs like nursing, teaching um, and yeah other kind of like caring labor and whatever, often some of the only steady jobs available to anybody, irrespective of gender in many different contexts. Um, uh, in, in many urban contexts, your prospects are basically pink collar work or law enforcement um, of one kind or another. So this is like, that's the first meaning of feminization um forgive me for getting a bit analytic the second meaning is this kind of vaguer sort of like late capitalism subjectification thing um which i, I guess is mostly associated with to theory of the young girl if we're talking communist theory i suppose previously nina powell although she's somewhat disgraced at the moment um but yeah the Tecum, it's it's really like one of my least favorite essays i often say like communism would be a much better movement if everyone had read Tecum's theory of Bloom and nobody had read Tecum's theory of a young girl, but like, I don't know, at least if they'd read both of them, maybe that would have been better. But that's my kind of like esoteric theory bitching. But then there's sort of like this third meaning, which is, I guess, what was alluded to in the question. And that's kind of what I would like to, like, I guess that's what I would like to get this conversation around. Like, Of twist this conversation towards is this issue of radical feminism and like the issue of like the subordination of the feminine to the masculine, or like, yeah, this this notion of like femininity as captivity or femininity as something which we're like coerced into, which like simultaneously we're obliged to fulfill femininity, and then also once we fulfill that, we then kind of debased ourselves and subordinated ourselves. So this is like, I guess what this opens up is sort of like, um, there's always this issue with radical feminism where simultaneously, like radical feminism was a movement that clearly like enabled a lot of what trans politics, uh, trans politics as we know it is sort of inconceivable without the breakthroughs that the feminist movement more generally achieved. Like, yeah, the amount of denaturalizing and the amount of like overturning of previously kind of Naturalized and elevated orders, which feminist movements around the world achieved, is clearly like preconditional with trans politics as we know it. However, also there's an obvious like, yeah, there's an obvious antagonism that exists as well, which I feel like actually got covered by transgender Marxism more than I'd conceived of. Like, I I don't think either Al or myself had planned we're going to be like, oh, we're going to have this new collection about transgender Marxism, which is going to be all about how revolutionary trans politics, kind of like replace feminism <laughs> like, or come to terms, you know what I mean? That, that was not our plan. But um, when we were doing the index is actually when we realized that like loads of chapters are like engaging in radical feminism on different levels and in different ways and making some pretty different arguments. But it's almost like the collection was uh, unintentionally kind of shot through with this concern of responding to uh, radical feminist critiques. And to talk about like why that is, I think like, it's not unusual for um, trans people of whatever gender position, whatever gender position you end up. Um, yeah, I would say trans people have disproportionately spent time in feminist movements, or at least the trans people who are politically engaged. Um, this is like disproportionately the kind of mode of political organizing we've come through. And I suppose to get into, um, we want it all, or, or, like, and we want it all that's really like, completely unmistakable. Like it appears sort of like in, we've already talked about um, Amy Marvin's other one, the first trans poem, but there's this one, Hey Guys, which is like possibly my favorite and not coincidentally, clearly like the bitchiest poem in the collection, which is kind of like very specifically skewering this kind of like NGO curious, gentrifier, sort of like (laughs) the kind of like soft, soft boy, tender queer, actually kind of passive-aggressive, exclusionary figure who you encounter like a million times in any kind of trans circle, and specifically like towards the top of these hierarchies, um, which these scenes tend to, to attract. And like, um, I think that's, th- that, that example is kind of like what, like the worst of what trans politics kind of replaces radical feminism with, because this figure is like, he's like fearful, or they are fearful of like mean girls, and like... <laughs> nasty women who are like you know ruining this world of softness but like um but yeah elsewhere in the collection i think especially like the figure of um yeah adrian rich is like um uh, adrian rich specifically seems to come up like repeatedly like there's this poem acknowledgements by ari barnius which is just about um yeah that's that's a quote from the transsexual empire right which is kind of like spliced together down into a single word about how rich had really like helped this kind of transphobic masterpiece come into being. Um, And then obviously there's this more forgiving, it's a blog post, right, by Bryn Kelly, which um, I was quite surprised to see in here because this blog post had really left like a huge impression on me. And it's, it's interesting to like find it in a poetry collection, but somehow it sort of like really fits into the whole work, right? Because it's like, yeah, it's this more forgiving perspective about both like Rich herself and also that whole vein of like radical radical lesbianism I suppose like which like even as someone who's not like personally invested in that identity like it's it's interesting that like even yeah even trans women who are not personally like involving themselves or like directly focused on like building up a lesbianism like we can't kind of escape this orbit of like the sort of trans lesbian possibility (laughs) like the Uh, wants the attraction and the impossibility of this kind of dialogue between two types of uh, radical dyke, right? The sign male and sign female. This is something which like, um, yeah, there's this kind of like melancholy uh, relationship, which a lot of trans people have towards radical feminism, where it's simultaneously like it's clearly not fit for purpose. You know, these like um, these hey guy types have completely taken over. Like there's no kind of hope of like reviving this tendency or this tradition, it wouldn't even seem like a righteous thing, like if we tried to do that, right? But um, on the other hand, we kind of can't, we can't sort of get away from that history so easily. <laughs> like um, there's sort of one type of unusual, controversial woman kind of like always ending up in dialogue with another. Anyway, so that's um. So yeah, I'd love to chat about radical feminism or like um, the so-called second wave.
2: Yeah, I think that's very beautiful. I mean, I'm glad that you brought up Bryn's essay. Um, uh, yeah, which was originally a blog post. A friend of hers, a, a, a close friend friend of hers wrote, uh, who's also in the collection, uh, wrote and was like, I think that Bryn would have been, would have both scoffed and been quite, complimented at being included in a volume of Radical trans poetics, like she probably would have made fun of it but also <laughs> liked it um and um and you're right that Ari Banias's, we forgot in this we fixed it for the next printing but we forgot the <laughs> to include the the Poetics note that um, uh, Ari Banias's poems are all um, uh, 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 taken from they're all using words that are taken from the transsexual empire, including its dedication to Adrienne Rich. Um, and, but so, you know, just to talk a little bit about that essay by, by Brin. I mean, one of the things I, I do think, Jules, that you're right to say that this relationship is like a little, it's like melancholic in the sense that, you know, we're all trying to figure out and we haven't found a solution for, um, uh, this, like, deep kind of like social and political disconnect never mind this the actual antagonism um uh but this desire to put people into conversation who are um either not occupying the same time or if they are they're deeply distrustful of each other um and this it seems important for us because in part because and and actually You know like in part because um the second wave can be so reduced in memory to um just a kind of like way for us to go like oh this is some stuff that we don't like um without like really sitting with it um and really understanding you know like even stuff in there that we might not like Firestone or whoever, like people who are a little bit out in a little bit in outer space. But like, it's worth reading. Um, it's worth dealing with. And, um, uh, um, it's worth understanding the particular polemics, um, uh, that they undertook as we undertake our own, um, uh, in part so that we don't believe ourselves to be doing new work when in fact we're not um I yeah that's that that's that's one thought that that I have um about about the second wave and about radical feminism
1: okay so now we've just opened the door to radical feminism (laughs) is the turn of abolition (laughs) Um, If there is one slogan that does the honors of left-wing transphobia and a place that has been like intellectually colonized by it is that of the so-called abolition of gender. All of us from enriching different perspectives have immersed in our theoretical and political work in the argument of abolition. I think that communist thought can contribute to this debate with one specific key, and it is that of substituting a radical feminist concept of abolition with Marxian concept of Aufhebung. That leans towards a more expansive project, also in the face of gender nihilist negative project. And there are different approaches through which trans radical thinkers have grasped said abolition For instance, on the one hand, Jules echoed the anti carceral struggle by pointing to the needs and focus the material conditions upon which gender division instead of prisons are built. Kay called for the abolition of gender objection, I guess, in the line of Rosemary Hennessy's point, but for so liberatory possibilities in maintaining gendered aesthetic pleasures and expressions. Othoué argues that gender can be abolished while preserving the rights and dignities of people to identify however they like, but while destroying its role in the organization of economic life. Oh, I myself have claimed previously that gender abolition implied the collective organization to overcome the material conditions that determine gender-type identities in the capitalist mode of production, thus socially miserating the lives of gender-variant people and women. So, (laughs) how do you think that trans-liberation should approach said call for gender abolition and, above all, how can we as communists reframe its bourgeois and transphobic
2: conclusions? <laughs> I mean I think that abolition is a great communist word um and it's one that Marx, uh, I mean as, as actually Alberto Toscano has talked about this And I think that there is another word for abolition that Marx uses it in camera what it is um but uh Toscano talked about abolition communism which I think is like really worth dwelling with um, but but also you know like one of one of the things that's translated as abolition of Marx is Aufhebung, so the kind of cancellation and negation and transformation of conditions so that this thing that is contained in a certain uh dimension becomes variously redistributed or or, or, or uh, so um so so it's a great co- it's a great communist word and we, and we can use it and uh, i I think I guess maybe one of the responses that I have here is i want to draw out, the other sense of abolition that I think many of us use it right now uh many uh, the other sense of abolition that many of us use right now um and try to think about the non identity between this sense of abolition and general ab- abolition and I mean uh, prison and police abolition which is the bulk of my organizing work now and has been for a while um and which is you know abolitionist in the sense that it aims at the transformation of social conditions so that prisons and police no longer provide a bad answer or a false answer to um uh hunger trauma crisis chaos and need um on the understanding that these are forms of class war in the present that produce and reproduce forms of racial dispossession um what in what sense is 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 or is, is that an abolition? It well when we say abolition, what do we mean? Well, we do mean we actually do mean like sublation, not subtraction. Like we actually do mean Aufhebung in this sense of like understanding that these things perform in through the the means of pacification control uh severe violence um uh uh apartheid um uh they actually have these social functions you know um uh, prisons are in the u.s are massive providers of mental health care like that's fucked up the, the world should not be this way but it's true right so prisons have this social reproductive function right um so when we say abolition we mean that that function can be done in a way that we can get rid of this institution and do it otherwise right um and so we are talking about like um uh, uh negating canceling and transforming these social relations so that no longer has to happen but also like what the object even though we have these kind of increments that we can identify um, as being part of our strategy to produce a different world, the object that we're actually abolishing, which is to say transforming is social relations. And that is the sense in which I think this kind of like prison and police abolition uh, lines up with gender abolition, which I think we mean in, in a slightly different sense. Um, because at least when when I say that, and I only sometimes say that because people get very confused about it. But I don't mean it in the sense, I mean, if we're kind of going back to that definition that I was using earlier, and that might not be a helpful definition, but I find it sometimes a helpful definition of gender as the subjective imprint of the symbolization of sexual difference. Um, uh, then, you know, like this thing where like, you know um, uh, where some people are e-girls and some people are daddies, you know, like, that's not a bad thing, right? That's fine. Um, uh, the, um, massive, again, scalar, um, uh, um, uh, consigning of some people to, um, massive, uh, uh, to exploitation and abjection and violence in massive degrees, um, uh, that, is, that, that is the object of transformation, right? That is the thing that cannot exist in the world that we want to make. Um, and so um, I think it's important for us to kind of understand and to pull these things apart, understanding that how people like, you know, let's say joyously or abundantly experience um, their uh, embodiment, will also change when uh it is no longer the case that like the household and uh, uh other forms of like say privatized uh forms of care social reproduction care for children care for elders um when these things no longer when i will say speaking that into the world when these things no longer structure our lives um uh, uh, like surely people will also have different like ways that they want to like, um, I don't know, uh, 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 um, I go about, uh, uh, what they do, um, in, in the ways that we now like talk about as gender, like that's definitely true. Um, but also again, like, you know, what, what we are aiming at is this, is this relationship. Um, and that's what I have to say. I,
0: I've got a brief answer, but I'll go first, if she wants to say anything.
4: No, I'm good.
3: Uh, well, concerning um, all the things we want to abolish, uh, yeah, I, I guess, like, uh, concerning prisons and law enforcement and all that, I found this formulation in the introduction of We Want It All, where it's, like, the kind of poetics that these these people are sort of involved in are like the opposite of a prison, I thought was this really, yeah, this really memorable way of putting it, which, um, yeah, I think I'll be thinking about, and um, it seems really obvious to me that in the US, like, a lot of revolutionaries who maybe don't call themselves communists or anarchists or whatever have taken to calling themselves abolitionists, like, that's their primary identifier, Um, and I find that very striking, obviously, it's to do with the US-specific history there um and previously successful movements to get rid of slavery um but like uh something i have noticed as well is that there's this real admirable clarity with many of the leading figures i'm thinking especially about Ruth wilson gilmore but there are many other examples to kind of emphasize that when they're talking about abolition we're not thinking about like some kind of uh storming the bastille moment that's going to happen across the nation and then all the walls will come tumbling down and that's it all the prisoners are freed and Hooray, happy ending. And it's more about like, um, yeah, it's more about supplanting and replacing and exactly like acknowledging, um, as Kay was saying, that these, um, yeah, these like law enforcement agents are kind of being uh, called upon to like resolve mental health crises and stuff like that. So it's like, we're going to have to work out new ways to do all of those things and ways to like replace all of this stuff and like repair the harm, like a reparative process as well as as, well as, as much as a destructive one. And, like, it's not going to succeed without both of those aspects, right? Like, you have to be prepared to um, involve in, in literal physical struggles in places, and you need to be prepared to do work, which is maybe even more difficult than that uh, at other times. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of, like, U.S. abolitionism, something which I find very, very inspiring and very admirable. Although I will say that, like, um, in Europe, there's maybe, like, a widespread unfamiliarity even on the left with even some of the basic insights um of those black feminists and um other black struggles so um yeah but concerning the term like yeah I'm not even sure like I'm into gender abolition I wrote these two essays about it in Blindfield um journal which I think was primarily just to record the fact that um people were making this opposition that like uh radical feminists talk about gender abolition and um trans people don't do that because it invalidates people or whatever uh, which is of course a load of nonsense like there's been loads of very interesting gender abolitionist writing by trans people which I tried to kind of like engage with and thread together a bit especially in the second part of the essay uh, but um, but again it's like uh when you when you say you want to abolish something <laughs> like the agenda you're setting out is always like well you're trying to say that the way the world is configured, the way the world is set up now, it doesn't have to be the case, and it doesn't have to be the case for the next generation. It, it doesn't have to be the case for the rest of time. So like when you're talking about abolishing prisons, when you're talking about abolishing the family, um, or the wage relation, or landlords, or whatever else, um, you're basically you're, you're sketching out a picture about how the world can look. You're saying, well, people shouldn't have to be spending most of their time Uh, earning money to pay the bills or trying to find a job to earn money to pay the bills and they can't even find one you know what I mean? this is like the point is always like the utopian or the the point is always showing people that are engaged in these struggles that like it's not going to be that way forever or it doesn't have to be so like that's um that's the purpose of talking in terms of abolition i would say and it's always like it's always possible to get caught up in people talking about whether this is realistic or whether like you have a clearly articulated plan, or whether like the movement is really capable of like replacing all these roles and fulfilling all these social needs and stuff. But like that's the, that's why I would stick with it. That's why like I think it's worth talking about abolitionist communism or communism or anything like that. Yeah, I try and be practical I suppose.
2: All right, <laughs> I think that's the end of me. Just to be super quick there, I mean yeah like I, I love this sense of abolitionist bearing out, what but you calls the communist hypothesis that this world is not necessary or, you know, like we do not have to live this way and to identify what those things are, which we were like, we don't have to live this way.
1: Okay, so is it time for you to leave, Kay.
2: I, I do have to go, but um, L, if there's anything you would like to add, I can stick around for it. Uh, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Beautiful.
1: So, yeah, what we can do is like pause this video. <laughs> is it already paused? <laughs>